Hello, listeners. Welcome to Educational Landscapes, Lessons from Leaders. On today's episode, we are going to learn from Shawana Moore. Welcome to the show, Shawana. Thank you so much for having me. So to begin, uh, what is your educational leadership title or titles? Yes, yeah, so at Emory University, the Nell Hutchinson Woodrow School of Nursing, I serve as the director of the Doctor of Nursing Practice Program, and I'm ranked as an associate professor. Um, also nationally, I serve as the current president for the National Association of Nurse Practitioners in Women's Health. By training, I am a women's health nurse practitioner. Amazing. So for our listeners who may have heard of the term nurse practitioners, but don't really know what that entails, can you tell us a bit more? Sure. So at Emory, I prepare the next generation of APRNs, um, specifically nurse practitioners across various specialties in collaboration with specialty directors so they can care for diverse populations of people. So for me, I'm trained as a women's health nurse practitioner. I'm able to provide um, full scope of uh, care to the women's health and gender-related population. Of course, there are various regulations um, and rules and guidelines depending on which state you reside in. Um, Georgia tends to be a more conservative or I always try to use a positive, more reserved, conservative state when it comes to um, nursing practice. Uh, but in other states where there's full practice authority, um, I'm able to care for the women's health gender related population across the lifespan. So here at Emory, I, I help support their development um, on the level of a terminal degree in, this, in terms of a DMP. Okay, that's amazing. So um, as you work on developing them um, in the DNP program, what do you do in that role? And then also what do you do in your national level role? Great question. So in my role at Emory developing um, APRNs on that DNP level, um, I support them with developing a scholarly project. So students identify an issue. It could be a clinically based issue. It could be a policy issue. It can be something that's community based. And they work over the course of three semesters on their specific project um, to really help improve health systems. And I always say, when you improve health systems, that should always have a focus on the community aspects because patients go back to the communities. They typically don't stay in health systems. So I think one unique thing here at Emory is that we have that community focus in mind when we are um, supporting students with their doctoral education. Uh, but yeah, so they do complete a scholarly project that really investigates or take a deep dive into some sort of issue. And again, it could be policy related around specific policies that may affect one population versus another. It could be clinically driven or it could be community driven as well. Um, the other big piece is students um, also I work in collaboration with the APR, which is the Advanced Practice Register Nurse Specialty Directors. Um, so we have our FMP, we have our, our women's health, we have our um, adult general, primary adult general acute, P's primary, P's acute, psych mental health um, programs that are here. So I work with them to coordinate help with clinical rotations because they rotate within community settings as well as health system settings, providing or learning how to care for those populations um, specific to their specialty area. 
But I think when you think about the doctoral degree, it's that higher level thinking, right? How do you transform now that the healthcare that you're going to provide for these patients in a different way? And I think the biggest tangible piece that students walk away is scholarly work. So our students go to present nationally. We encourage international. We encourage regional. Um, we support them with publications. We just had a student um, have a publication of their uh, DMP scholarly work. Um, so yeah, so the biggest thing is transforming the way healthcare is delivered on multiple levels, not just within health systems, but also within a community. I love that. I love that. Um, so as you think about the work that you have to do, which is amazing work, um, what skills do you use in your roles? So that's a complex and a multi-layered question. Um, I think fundamentally, the skills that I use have a lot to do where I came from. So growing up, I grew up in a city called Camden, New Jersey, um, on the East Coast, uh, considered a poor city. Um, I say I grew up in a comfortable household and that I didn't want for anything or need for anything. I had my basic essentials of what I need, but I lived around poverty. So I still was exposed to elements um, like my counterparts. But having that experience growing up gave me a different mindset when engaging with community, right? I think it gave me a different level of focus and understanding on how communities um, may have specific unmet needs and how do you address them. So my point in bringing up where I come from, because it has a lot to do with the skill sets that I've developed over time, or even some deficits that I knew I needed to grab in and hone into supporting the growth and development of those skills. But I think um, the skills that I need for leadership first comes from where I come from. I think having a spirit, a spirit of resiliency, having a spirit of grace and understanding, having open-mindedness to differences in people and being able to support people in a very non-judgmental way um, are big things and be open to learning what I don't know and being open to openly saying, this sounds like a wonderful opportunity. This is a great topic. I'm not versed in it. Help me understand it, right? Um, so I think a lot of it is rooted in upbringing and experiences you get over time. I went to a HBCU, a historically black college um, for undergrad originally to study biology. I wanted to be a scientist. Oh. Um, yeah, I wanted to be a scientist growing up. And um I don't think I'm far from it, but I wanted I studied bio. And then I got to see different systems of people from across the country, right? Come to this small school in Ohio. And even though people may come from a specific uh, ethnic or racial group, there are still differences among them. Then for my, I went back to get a second degree in nursing and the institution I went to was a little different. It was an urban city, a predominantly white institution. But again, I got to see different systems of people work and how they work in a different culture. So I think being able to have a well-rounded experience helped inform who I am and how I operate within the space that I'm given. I love that. I love that. And you kind of led to the, the next question, which I have, which is, um, can you tell us a bit more about that journey that led to this current role? Because I'm very curious how we went from biology to director of a DNP program. 
Yeah, so originally, so I had this thing that I thought I was going to be a marine biologist. There was an opportunity growing up to um, have an internship in high school at our state aquarium in New Jersey. Uh -huh. So I interned there and I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I'm studying biology. Loved it. I love science. I was good in science. I also participated in a girls enrichment program that um, was called GEMS, Girls Excelling in Math and Science. So like I knew I liked that. So I was like, okay, perfect. I like science. I like biology. I'm, I do good in these. I excel. Um, and then the opportunity came for me to um, get a scholarship. I was a runner. I ran track most of my youth. Um, so I had an athletic scholarship to go to North Carolina Central to run but then I got another academic scholarship um, to HBCU, a different HBCU, to study bio. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll take academics off over athletics just because I was tired of running at that point. <laughs> I have an injury. I lose a scholarship. Like, I didn't want that. I was like, I'll, I'll rely on my brain more. So ended up going to Wilberforce to study bio because I was thinking I was going to be in marine biology at some point. Then um, midway into my education, my mother got ill. She got really sick. She lost her ability to walk. Like just woke up one morning and could not walk. And um, I was away at school in Ohio. And I remember my sister and my father would call me, give me updates. And the school I went to, we had a really long winter break. So during that time, she was um, being cared for in the hospital in Philadelphia. And I got to see healthcare firsthand. I got to see what nurses did, what physicians did, what other individuals that were a part of the healthcare team did. And I just was like, at that time, I saw that it was nurses really who cared for my mother and brought her back to a holistic person, right? So yes, the surgeon performed the surgery, fixed that technical piece that needed to be fixed. But it was at that point, I said, oh no, nurses are holistic. Like they bring you from emotional, physical, mental, social aspect back to wellness. So I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a nurse. So, and I, of course, said woman's health because I saw the inequities and disparities for women in the community system I grew up in. And even within my own household, I always say like, women, we play everybody else's food first when we're serving food and it will make ours last. And I'm like, why is that? Like, it's, you know, culturally we do that. And I'm like, it shows the dynamics on how we care. So I'm like, I think that's fine, but we have to change that conversation and that dynamic. And in order for us to care for other people, we have to be able to care for ourselves first. So that experience with my mom, being able to see what nurses did, I said, yes, I'm going to become a nurse. So uh, at that time, I think it was maybe my junior year. So then I started looking at programs for nurses, non-nurses. And that's when it was a celebrated program started coming out where you could come a nurse with a shorter period of time if you had a certain degree and science degrees are degrees that put you closer to that point um, and I ended up being able to go to the university that was connected to the hospital where my mother was careful yes yeah, so my bachelor's my master's and my doctoral degree at that institution um, and a good thing about that uh, which led me be, to become a nurse practitioner in women's health is that they provided dual entry into their grad school. So I was automatically entered into their graduate program. Um, so I did that and I was convinced to go straight into a doctor's by my mom who has a high school education plus certification as a certified home health aide. She really supported me to get the terminal degree and encouraged me to get it. 
um, to go straight through. So I was the first student at that university to go straight from a bachelor's degree to an MS and to a DNP degree. And I had wonderful support there. One of my mentors who's here at Emory, Dr. Beth Ann Swan, um, was the graduate um, associate dean and then moved on to become the dean. But she supported me a lot through my academic journey at that institution. And she's here at Emory, hence I'm here at Emory, right? That full circle connection. How I got into becoming a nurse practitioner and then a doctorate preparing nurse practitioner, I always served in a community role. So I always worked in community-based health centers directly involved with urban populations that may be considered um, uh, marginalized or disproportionately impacted through to no fault of their own. Now, I never blame the population. There are systemic structures and systems that have been put in place that disproportionately impact certain populations of people. So I've always served in those, those community roles. So uh, as a nurse practitioner, I worked in the heart of Philadelphia. I worked in the heart of Camden, New Jersey, where I grew up, um, which was fantastic. And then I ended up teaching. So um, that's the interesting thing. The same institution where they had the hospital affiliated with my mother's care. I did all of my nursing education from bachelor's all up into doctors. Um, I was recruited by um, faculty member, including Dr. Swan, to come teach. So that's the thing about the power of, I think, mentorship and relationships, being open-minded, right? Connecting with people. People can see things in you that you may not necessarily see yourself because I didn't see myself as an educator or a faculty member or seeking that role, but somebody saw that in me. So her, along with another my mentor of mine recruited me to come on over um, to start teaching at that institution. So I was there for about nine years before coming over here to Emory. I used to direct their women's health and gender-related women's health nurse practitioner program. Did some fun and fa fantastic things with that program, helped diversify it, helped increase numbers, built a lot of community partnerships there. Um, so yeah, that was how I, I became a faculty member and I was a director of a um, Women's Health MP program. And then I came over to Emory to direct their DMP program a little over a year ago. So that's been my journey through academia so far. That is such an amazing journey. And um, as, as a person whose mom is a nurse as well, just listening to your, your journey and talking about that holistic um, aspect of nursing de definitely resonates with me so much. Oh, I love that. That's yes. so fantastic. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, unlike you, I went and followed my mom and I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Like, each of us have our own destiny and pathway, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I, but yes, I have such a big warm spot in my heart for nurses, I think, because of my mom. So I'm always delighted to hear of nurses' journeys. So thank you for sharing. Oh, you're very welcome. So as you think about, you know, um, as you said, currently you're, you're directing the program here and you were a director for a number of years. What do you wish you knew before stepping into that type of leadership role? You know, that's a really interesting question because I, I think, so here's my bias. I think that we are on a pathway that we're supposed to be on and we have the tools we need at that given time to learn what we need to learn. 
So I wouldn't say there's something that I wish that I would have known because I wouldn't have the outcome and experiences that I have had, right? And I think that all helps build my journey and my story, right? Um, I just think my hope and my goal is that whatever I do, it always has a positive impact on the students that I serve and in the communities that I serve. But I think the universe gives us the tools we need for our given time and our given journey. Because if not, I'll have a completely different story for you today. Um, so I think I had exactly what I needed and there's not one thing I would have hoped for more of. I think the outcome that I always want is impact on individuals that I serve and I look at that as my students in the communities that I engage with. I love that. Thank you. So I know you've got your, your as we say, local role at Emory, and you also have that national role. Um, what continuing professional development do you do to keep up with the needs of those roles? Ooh, so lots of conferences. So engaging in conferences. I know with COVID, a lot of it pivoted to virtually, but I think that's fine because it still provided accessibility and greater accessibility because you didn't have to travel. Um, but I think being able to connect with people in person, you, you, that's so invaluable to, to like professional development. I've built so many um, good relationships and was able to work on scholarly work, publications, presentations, just from meeting a, a colleague at, at a conference from another state and we had similar interests. So I think just networking, um, being ensuring that you are uh, forward thinking and seeking um, educational opportunities in areas that may require growth on a regular basis, um, looking at education and professional development as lifelong and not just like a task you have to do to keep your license. It's like, it's exciting, it's lifelong. You'll, this will be something that you do and cultivate for the rest of your career, even post-career. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think just staying engaged, staying on a conference realm, being involved in national organizations. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm the president of the National Association of Nurse Practitioners in Women's Health, um, which is the organization that is for women's health nurse practitioners and other advanced practice registered nurses who care for the women's health and gender-related population. So again, being able to create agendas and strategic planning behind educational offerings for um, our member population um, just always being on the forefront, always to gather, think about the next three to five years ahead, right? Not just was that was at the present. And I always bring it to, like I say, equity has to be at the forefront and community has to be at the forefront of what we offer to our members. And the same with students, because I'm like, without equity and what we do, we do it the service to the community, right? So I always say those two things should be in mind with any educational opportunity. So a lot of... Um, educational opportunities that I offer and I seek for myself are those that are embedded in equity. And if equity isn't in there, it's like, okay, so how do we ensure that it's in there? Um, and there's a lot of ways you can do it. My national organization, we just underwent bylaw changes, right? Revisions on that. And we ensure we had an X, DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion expert come from another national organization that helps support us in that space to ensure that's something that we do. Same thing at Emory, we have our Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion led by Dr. Lisa Mirahead, along with her amazing um, team that ensures um, that's what we facilitate within our school. 
we have um, specific curriculum around social determinants of health that was led by one of our faculty members, Dr. Jill Hamilton, that we integrate within our doctoral students' work. So that's one of the pillars or concepts that they have to integrate within their project. How does social determinants of health impact this specific policy issue or clinical issue? Um, so I think staying engaged, staying at the forefront of seeking education um, and enjoying the process of doing so. <laughs> I, that is exactly what I was going to comment on is for some people, they talk about continuing professional development and there's a little bit of a sigh, but I love as you were talking about it, you know, I can hear how you're gaining from the professional development and then what you're learning, you're then building it into um, the work of that you do with others. So that's, that's so important. Very, very important. Wonderful. So you've given some advice already, but what additional advice would you give someone interested in doing the same type of leadership roles that you have? Well, key is to seek mentorship. Um, I think mentorship is important and foundational um, for individuals seeking leadership. The other thing is understanding that you lead from where you are. So sometimes people think about leaders as this like extravagant, untouchable person. And I'm like, I tried to dismay that myth in my roles and like make it very approachable, humanize it, right? Because leaders come with areas of opportunities where they need to grow, right? So I think um, understanding that you can lead from your, the very place you sit in. So I developed a girls empowerment program a few years ago. And just recently got funded here at Emory to launch it here in Atlanta this September within our school system. But one of the core pieces we focus on is leadership. And I teach the young adolescent females how to lead within their homes, how to lead within their communities, how to lead within their schools. So understanding that leadership doesn't look one way and that you can lead from the very place that you are. So shifting that mindset having mentorship to help guide you. You know, we have an amazing Dean, Dean uh, Linda McCauley here at Emory, who is a, an amazing leader. And I know that she pours back into her faculty and staff to ensure individuals understand that leadership comes from within and you can lead and be solution-driven right from where you sit. Um, so I think those things are key, Understanding that you can lead from where you exactly you are and understanding and connecting with mentors that can help support you on your leadership journey. Wonderful. And um, since when the podcast gets posted, we we add links to resources. Can you tell us um, what is the name of the women's uh, the girls empowerment program? That's exactly what it's called. It's called the Girls Empowerment Program. Uh, I'm here from Emory Women of Circle. Um, provided the funding for 15000 this year. Um, other resources I would recommend, um, Emory has an amazing leadership academy. Our School of Nursing is launching a leadership academy as well. We have other uh, national leadership academies through the National League of Nursing, NLN, um, uh, the, American, uh, the American Association of Colleges of Nursing has leadership programs, Sigma Theta Tall International, um, Honor Society has leadership um, programs. So there are a lot of national as well as local leadership um, programs that individuals can go through that help support that journey. I had the opportunity to go through a leadership 
a National Leadership Academy through the National League of Nursing, as well as a local a leadership academy at my previous institution. So um, I think being engaged and involved in formal leadership training is helpful as well. Thank you. Thank you. So as you think about the various things that you, you've done, um, how would you say you support or expand education in your profession or through your roles? So being a program director for the DNP program allows me to support the education of the next generation of advanced practice registered nurses. So again, I ensure I connect with students. I just had an email from a student about maybe like a week ago wanting to connect about like mentorship opportunities. So I'll have a meeting with this student to talk about mentorship, how to connect with mentors uh, and, and keep the relationship going. So it's beneficial for both sides. So like sometimes people think of mentorship as one-sided, but it's not always one-sided, right? I always say things should always be bi-directional. Um, I've had mentors throughout my life that I was able to give back small contributions to, right? So you invite them as guest speakers, you can send them articles that are common interest. Um, but yes, yeah, so serving as a director, but mentoring students and teaching them how to seek mentorship even outside of the School of Nursing or the university. Uh, I think on a national level, we have at my national organization, um, a student pipeline. So we have student membership and we develop a um, student leadership program um, where they are able to come to our conference and connect with our amazing board members and have that mentorship during the time of the conference. But the goal is that it continues afterwards. And we're in the process of developing a more robust mentorship program for students on a national basis. And it's not just student to student, like mentorship, You it, and it's not age dependent, right? Like a, you can have a mentor that you may be younger than or older than. So I'm like, um, I think it comes in different forms of fashion, but it's just finding common interests and having a desire to support somebody throughout their, their journey, whether that be in nursing clinical, nursing research, or nursing in an academic setting. Yeah, wonderful. And so I'm sure you've um, you've already highlighted some amazing things that you've done. Um, but I'm curious, what would you say has been one of your greatest successes thus far? Well, I love this question because I feel like the greatest success I've had thus far is the ability to change the lives of individuals on a community level as well as a mentorship level, right? We can have all these accolades and I could have stated awards, but I'm like, that's not really the impact. When I can have a student that I mentor, and this is a true story, she just finished up her doctoral degree this past May. And I remember her journey and she said, oh, Dr. Moore, she called me Doc, Doc, what do you think I should do? Um, should I go back to get another postgraduate certificate in this specialty area or should I go on and get my doctoral degree? I said, listen, go get your doctoral degree. Then we can talk about getting a postgraduate certificate in the specialty. I said, get the terminal degree. Um, she had a lot of um, challenges throughout her journey um, from a financial perspective, but the universe provided where she was able to get funding. Then she had time was like it's too much for me I said listen you've been given an opportunity what funding we have to figure out a way to make this work so she said I'll keep going and I just kept saying she's like well maybe I'll step out and take a leave I was like listen 
There's, you're well, there's no illness. Everything you're telling me is good stuff. You just got to learn how to manage. So we we used to talk on probably every two weeks, talk her through it. Um, and I never forget, she gave me the call the day before graduation. Like, Doc, I'm so glad I listened to you. You told me I feel good when I finish. I'm so thankful I listened to you. I said, I told you. I said, it seemed when you're going through it, you don't see the outcome, right? But that's why you have mentors that can show you to say, hey, you can do this. Here are some things you can put in place that help support you to do this, right? So you need those people that champion you and, and, and cheer you on because they know what the outcome feels like and looks like. You don't know that yet. And I had that from my career um, professionally. I had people that championed me and cheerleaded me on when days I'm like, I don't think I can really do this. Is this going to work? But that's when you have your, your mentors. I look at your mentors as your board of directors. These are the people you go to when you have critical decision making to do and they can help guide you. But yeah, so I think my biggest contribution is being able to see people I've mentored have great wins and great successes. When I think about it from a clinical perspective, it's patient outcomes. When I see patients have wellness, right? Prevention of disease process, right? So I, I always say my greatest contribution and achievement is being able to impact communities and individuals. And whether that be from an academic standpoint or a clinical standpoint or community standpoint, those are my greatest um, contributions, seeing an output of that. Thank you so much for your contributions this far. You're very welcome. So I know we've talked about um, earlier in the conversation, the importance of like lifelong learning um, in the roles that uh, we do. Can you talk a bit about what you currently think are your greatest growth opportunities at the moment? Oh, yes. I love that. Greatest growth opportunities. And I love the positive twist to it. Greatest growth opportunities is probably learning when to say no. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a person that's always excited about the next opportunity and, and what can come from it and how it can be impactful. But being strategic about what I dedicate my time to is a more powerful way to say it. Uh, I think that's the area of growth. Um, what's another area I would say? Um probably being more immersed like I'm trying to take a deeper dive into like the research space and the research world but with that community lens so I love the community so when if I seek funding it's always going to be for something community based and community driven but looking for research opportunities that help connect more of community like I love community participatory research like that's where I am so being able to seek out more opportunities for research, but involving the community in it, I think that's another area of opportunity for growth. Um, let's see, what's another one? You asked for three. Maybe I don't have a third, but I can say in general, I think for leaders is knowing when to step back and allow others to lead. I think sometimes that can be a challenge for any leader is knowing when to step back, but that's a form of leadership. Knowing when you can step back and let others lead, right? And I'm like that. I think that's the power of mentorship because, like, mentors taught me that. Like, they taught me push me up, and they step back from a role. So knowing when to do that, right? And and that the other thing I always say is, so I, I'm a I'm an introvert by nature, and I had to learn through leadership development 
how to be an extrovert with executive presence when meeting. People are like, oh, you're an introvert. I'm like, yeah, I'm truly an introvert. But in this space where we are, I'm going to have an executive presence and I'm going to be an extrovert because this is the space we're in. And I've had professional development that has helped support me through executive coaching and leadership development. Um, uh, but that's the other piece of it. Um, knowing what type of leader you are and knowing when to take off that hat and allow somebody else to lead, I think is a key part of, of, of leadership that I think sometimes we don't always think about. But knowing when not to lead, I think it's important because sometimes it's not always your voice that needs to be in the room, right? It's for you to uplift other people. One of other mentors, her name is Dr. Diana Drake out of Minnesota. Um, that has been a wonderful mentor of mine. And she's a prime example of teaching people when to step back, when to step back. She's the immediate past president of the National Association of Nurse Practitioners and Women's Health um, and retired recently, but still, we still collaborate and still talk on a regular basis. But she really taught me the importance of knowing when to step back and when to uplift others so that they can lead. That. Thank you. I think those are important growth opportunities for all of us um, that you've highlighted. Now, I know we've talked about um, certain things that you love, but I would love to just get a reiteration. What do you love most about your work and what you do? Oh, what do I love most? I love engaging with the next generation of healthcare providers that are going to care for me and my family at some point, right? Mm -hmm. I love the ability to transform communities and have sustainable impacts within community settings. Um, and then I think when I think about um, the scale on a more national and, and, and global level is being able to contribute to planning uh, around agendas and strategic plans that will impact the profession and ensuring that equity and community is at the center of it. And I think the other piece is understanding that I will always be in that position to do so, so that I'm always reaching back to bring the next person or individuals along that will take the throne and be able to continue to pass the baton forward. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, I feel like we've we've touched on this next question, but if there's anything you want to add, please do. Um, overall, as you reflect on your experiences to date, what would you say your current passions are around education? My current passions around education, I think students have to be at the center of it because I'm like, without a passion for for students, I, mean, I don't think anything else matters because I'm like, they're the end users that are going to take this back out in the community. So I think students and when students have that aha moment and they get it, they make that connection, right? Especially when it come, comes to in, in, engaging in quality improvement projects, right? Or, or policy work. Um, so I think my biggest passion with academia is being able to engage with students and bring them from point A to point Z, right? Um, the other thing I would say is, even now, I still have mentors that help support me and develop me as the leader where I am, but see the future for me. So being able to engage with mentors on in academia settings um, that can see 
and support my future growth and development as a leader within an academic space. Um, and last but not least, even though we're in an academic setting, we still have partners. So having those clinical partners, having those community partners, being able to collaborate on various projects and include students in those projects, I think is one of my passions when it comes to academia. Thank you, thank you. And so we're about to get to my last question um, for today, which is, we recognize you are more than what you do at work. So what are some things you do outside of work to help you maintain joy in life and practice? Joy, life and practice. Oh, so these are the things I do. I walk mostly every day. So walking is so therapeutic to me. I'm like, especially here in Georgia, where it's more rural. I came from an urban city where it was like lots of noise around. Here it's like very peaceful and serene. Not that the noise is bad, but I'm able to connect a little bit more with nature and kind of just relax. I started doing a self-care routine where um, I learned how to do my own facials. So I did a class and got some products. So I learned how to self-care do facials, which I find very relaxing to do. Travel if possible. I love to travel. Most of the time I travel now is related to work. I'm trying to figure out a way to, to balance that piece out of it where it's not work-related, it's more leisure. Yeah. Um, I have a, a kiddo, he's seven, whose name happens to be Emery. Oh. <laughs> yes. So I enjoy time with my seven-year-old, uh, ensuring he's the best human being possible and exposing him to new opportunities and new experiences. So that's what I do in my spare time. Oh, I love that. I love that. And now I'm so curious. Was it just coincidence that he was coincidence? So his name is Emory, spelled just like Emory University. Um, but remember, I only came here a little over a year ago. And he's seven. Um, so we, uh, when I was three months uh, pregnant with him, there was, I was, again, I was in a leadership program and there was a conference here held by NLN, the National League of Nursing at Emory, um, the main campus. So oh. I heard of the name Emory and I was like, oh, Emory would be a good name and it's kind of unisex. So I didn't need to know what the uh, gender of birth was to name the child Emory. So that's kind of how that came about. And then it just so happened, I ended up at Emory. <laughs> As you said, the universe had already planned it out. You just needed to go through the motion. Exactly, exactly. I <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. And before I let you go, are there any last words of wisdom for aspiring educators or educational leaders? The only thing I would say is leave from exactly where you are and seek mentorship to help support you on your leadership journey. Thank you. Wonderful words to end on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course.